0: another episode of Downton Gabby. We continue season two of The Gilded Age and tonight we are talking about episodes five and six. I'm Teresa from Toronto.
1: I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon
0: in Seattle. I realized watching the show uh, Sunday night that I watch the opening credits in every single episode of Gilded Age because I love them so much. And I especially love when the red flowers turn into a ball gown going down the stairs. I don't know how you all feel. We don't think we've ever talked about the opening
1: credits. I don't even know what you're talking about because I always skip them.
2: Me too. But I'm so happy you love them.
1: I feel like I just, the fir- on the first episode of like season one, I was like, this song isn't as good as the Downton song. And I've just skipped it every time since. Maybe I'll give it another chance now.
2: Why am I not surprised? <laughs> but for real, it's not as good as the Downton song. The Down song is as good as the Harry Potter music, where it's just like, this is iconic, dramatic, and totally memorable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. To be fair, I like the visuals more. It's really, for me, about the visuals and how like the railroad going down turns into Bonds, a pile of Bonds, and... You know, how the chandeliers turn into a diamond necklace.
1: You say you know, and I I don't know.
0: You don't know because you've never... Okay, humor me. <laughs>
1: I'll give it a chance now. I promise I'll give okay. it a chance. All right. All right. Should we get into the classic Julian ha- happiest of happiness to the lowest of despair storyline that takes place over these two episodes? Yeah, it's
2: Matthew in the car all over again.
1: Isn't it? Let's recap. Let's recap. In episode five, one of the first scenes of episode five, we get Ada giving the marriage news. Agnes is, of course, horrified. She won't go to the wedding. You're a spinster and you've always been a spinster, she says. Oh, she says, what do you know about
0: marriage or the duties of a wife?
1: It's very harsh. She's very harsh. But the scene is also funny because Bannister is standing there doing his like reaction, non-reactions. And when she tells him, Rescind your congratulations, that was very, very funny to me. Um, So it's a great scene. And like, not that I expected her to react any differently. Um, I was surprised by how quickly they went through this storyline of Agnes coming to terms with it only in one episode because I, I definitely thought it was going to be something more like what Shannon was predicting in our last episode with like a long, longer sort of faking some sort of injury or or more manipulation. Like I didn't think it would be wrapped up by the end.
0: Yeah, we thought this was going to drag on and drag on until they finally, you know, got married at some point. So I was a little surprised that everything happened in that episode Uh, But also kind of glad because I didn't really want to go through the whole Agnes, you know, machinations to prevent the wedding. So thank you for that anyway.
2: And the wedding was wonderful. It was just a beautiful scene. And I love Agnes showing up. I mean, obviously, she's such a drama queen. You know, she can't show up on time and sit like a normal person, has to draw all the attention. But I'm happy she was there. And I was so happy for Ada.
1: Yeah even Marion had some strong moments through all of this standing up to Agnes like I feel like that was really the joy of the arc of the episode was watching everyone kind of like have to look at the two aunts and decide like whose side am I on and everyone being like well obviously I'm gonna go to Ada's wedding. (laughs) Yeah
0: I'm not missing it. (laughs) I know team Ada for sure. I thought that the the conversation that marion had with agnes was one of her best scenes in this entire series so you try to lose the dead by bullying the living like what a good line i thought that banister was hilarious because he's obviously not taking agnes seriously at all when she's asking him to rescind <laughs> his congratulations
1: there's like a slight undercurrent and i don't know i feel like it's really just the actors putting this in but like since Agnes didn't get rid of the evil lady's maid, like, all of them must know that she just, like, doesn't have the patience to hire new staff. And so, and so their jobs are very secure, right? Well, you know, we had
2: another really interesting Agnes scene in these two episodes that kind of shocked me more than any of this Ada stuff. Which is when she gave him $5 for his patent. Mm-hmm. And it was A, the largest amount. And she gave it willingly, like, oh, I, why wouldn't I? I? Of course I would. And it was like, and then you think about her hiring Peggy and it's like, and she said, oh, I love to support an inventor, just like she loves to support Peggy, who's kind of an entrepreneur, right? She's starting her writing career. She's a self made woman. And I don't know. It's just, there's more to her than meets the eye, which of course we see eventually with the Ada story, but. I actually think she's developing in one of the most complex characters on the show.
0: So, of course, I looked up what $5 in 1883 would be worth today. How much do you think it's worth today? How much do you think Agnes gave him?
1: $200.
0: $30. It is worth $152 today.
2: Okay, $152. Well, that's a lot. That's a
0: lot. That's like just reaching into your you know, purse and pulling out $152 and saying, here, take this. And and the the cost of the patent.
1: So then that's like four hundred and fifty dollars that the patent was.
2: Exactly, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. No wonder he was worried about paying it back. Going back to Ada, I'd really love to talk about her glow up in her dresses post being married. Like that scene when they're having lunch at their house, and then he asks her to dance with the music box. That dress, that dress was stunning, eye catching. It just like, it was so different than all of her other clothes. And I know that makes it even sadder where the storyline goes to, but she is getting this wonderful happiness she never thought she would ever get. And I love that it shows in her fashion too.
1: I'm happy about that too, because I was annoyed that she didn't get to have a new dress for her wedding. Like, I know you're marrying a rector and it's all like, you know, needs to be, can't be too schmancy, whatever. But I was like, we're just sewing a ribbon on something old. Like, come on, girl. Can we go shopping, please? I would have loved a little montage of her trying on dresses for her wedding.
2: Give them all for Niagara Falls, which is just wonderful. It's just a wonderful play. <laughs> wonderful.
0: It's wonderful. But that dress, the one you're talking about that, she, that they were dancing in, mm-hmm.
2: I've never seen her in a dress like that. It was spectacular. I, I, it took my breath away. I was like, whoa, this is a new Ada.
1: A new Ada who's had sex.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. She knows what those duties of a wife are. And I think she liked it. I think Mm -hmm. she liked them too. I could not get that out of my head that like
0: Ada had sex. Is
2: there something wrong with me? No, I think it's a joyful thing for her. I mean, I think you think back to what it would have been like when she was, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, when all of her friends are getting married, being courted, and she's just being left behind, right? Mm. Like when she says, you make me feel like I'm 16 again. And what I heard was like, That hope of that, I'll find my person. And then she watched everybody around her get married and she's probably the only spinster. And so she probably did want to know what everybody was talking about, you know, slyly. And now she knows.
1: I'm sure he tried hard, at least. Like, this man was probably not going to let things go until he felt that satisfaction had been reached.
2: I'm really happy that she's found that. And then I just want to say, I totally called the cancer. (laughs)
1: At what point?
2: As soon as he said bad back, I literally screamed out, it's cancer. It's got to be. They're not going to just like suddenly throw in some, you know, just regular old thing. Oh, I have arthritis. Uh-uh. And I was like, this guy's got cancer. And boom, immediately he's diagnosed and then in bed forever. I don't know. That was a little bit fast. It's like, it's totally infirm immediately. Sure. I just kept thinking, I really
0: hope he gets a second opinion from Dr. Clarkson, because oh, of- <laughs> no.
1: he's going to rise out of his wheelchair, completely cured, and then get run over by a carriage. Look, he, he
0: can't die, okay? This is all I have to say. He can't, they cannot do this to us. It's Julian happening. Not cannot do this. He's dying next episode, I'm calling it.
1: No, come on. Really? Do you really think so? Uh, Things have been going along at a clip here. I I think uh, maybe he's going to try to make it to perform Marion's wedding that obviously isn't actually going to happen. And we'll get to that, right? Like maybe he'll be like, I need to like make it until I can, you know, marry my niece. And then she'll run off on the wedding and he'll die like the next day.
2: I don't think they're going to end the finale on his death. I think they like to end on a happy note. So,
1: before the finale because they're going to end the finale on the two widows back together again in Agnes's house.
2: Okay, I refuse.
0: I refuse to accept that storyline. Are you going on strike? I'm going to I'm sending a strongly worded letter to Julian Fellows to tell him that he needs to reshoot the next two episodes. Because if if Uncle Luke dies, I'm going to be so pissed off. Seriously.
1: He's like terminal. I mean, you think the miracle is going to happen? We thought that
0: Cora was terminal. We thought that like Matthew would never walk again. The miracle
2: cure? Julian's done it before. Okay, that's a fair point. But I think this is all the end game storyline is Ada and Agnes. It's not... Ada and Luke. And so I think Luke is a vehicle for Ada and Agnes, which we see at the end, which did bring a tear to my eye.
1: Oh, yeah, me too. It -hmm. was beautiful. Yeah.
2: And this is where we are seeing the layers of Agnes that she just immediately gets in the carriage. I see, I'm going to start crying. Yeah. And then (laughs) she shows up and she just hugs her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And both of them were so great in that scene. And Cynthia Nixon is one of the best actors at just collapsing into tears as well. So (laughs) it was very affecting. I was, I was crying for sure.
0: I mean, it's worth it for that kind of scene, but.
1: But now you need your miracle.
2: I need the Clarkson effect. I really do. But when you think about Mary and Edith, you would never get that emotional of a hug between the two of them. You know, even when Sybil died, they had a moment, but you just felt the depth of the history of Ada and Agnes that like, their parents dying. Ada was in the room when Oscar was born. She probably was there when she, Agnes was covering up bruises or whatever from this husband who sounded horrible. Right. You know, I mean, you just felt the depth of their bond and their history in a way we never saw with Mary and Edith, who also had, you know, a troubled relationship. It wasn't always close.
1: Okay, here's my pitch for the miracle storyline. Okay, let's get to it. Yeah, let's go. I think, what if it literally is young Dr. Clarkson? And that's the thing (laughs) that links the two narratives. He's a young man studying in America and he has an innovative new treatment or test or something. There you go. Maybe he's
2: out getting drunk with Larry, you know, and he comes down to the house and he's like, wait a minute. There's a cancer patient right there. I'm in.
1: I'm in. I can get this tumor out or whatever it is. Cause they didn't even give us any details. Like it's so vague. Just like this one starts in your back and then it spreads. Like I'm sure he's referencing some type of like, like I didn't look up what potential cancer that could actually be.
0: Back cancer. That's it. No, I I just made that up.
1: So, okay. None of our predictions are right. Okay. Like this is, uh, oh, there is one prediction that's. I called cancer. You called the cancer. I'm seeing our podcast predictions. There is one prediction that seems like it's going to be right, but it wasn't us. It was Sean.
2: I know it. And I, I was like, look, you're right. And he was like, I knew it.
1: George Russell, socialist hero. (laughs) It's happening. It is totally happening.
2: Mostly because this, these men have families. That's like, it's only like way to see them as humans. Well, I actually, I actually thought the most powerful line of that entire scene was when he said, I thought the children would be in school. Is there a school? Yeah. I I just, it was a really powerful line of like, he has no, clue
1: i think the reason that that worked so well for me is because this man thought he did have a clue he thought he was yeah. like a smarter new kind of businessman who knows how everything works and this and that and but somehow this is the first time he's actually thought about like the workers need somewhere to live the workers have families and the families need to A school and food and all of these things, you know, like it was like you could really see the wheels turning and how him realizing that he really had no fucking idea what the reality was on the ground. Yeah. Him walking into
2: that man's house, being offered the coffee, seeing the kids at luncheon at luncheon.
1: Yeah. Yes. Don't interrupt our luncheon.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you could see he just he had no idea and he felt so uncomfortable. He didn't know what to do with his hands or where to sit. And he was relying on his on his manners that honestly are self-taught. Right. He didn't grow up in the world that he exists now. And then just that contrast when you go out there and that firing squad, just Fire, you know, had their guns aimed at them. It was really intense. I did think it was quite well filmed, of just like, this is messed up. <laughs> like, nobody should face a firing squad because they're trying to fight for an eight hour workday, which honestly should have started with six, but whatever.
1: <laughs> they didn't go far enough. No, the thing, the thing I really loved about the scene in Henderson's house was that Kane that George was carrying with the gold top that again, he didn't know what to do with it. He was kind of holding it like in front of him. And that piece of gold was like front and center through the whole scene. So it was like, not subtle. Like here I am carrying this like ornamental nonsense that probably costs the same as what your house costs. And it seems so dumb. I don't even know where to put it. You know, like, I just like that detail really stuck out to me. So kudos to you know, costumes or whoever came up with that, for sure.
2: You know, it's an amazing juxtaposition to George's big strategy that he was going to invite Henderson to his house and intimidate him. And actually the opposite Mm -hmm. happened. Henderson wasn't surprised by anything. And actually he intimidated George by bringing him to his house. And that actually had a bigger effect. And those scenes, you know, counterbalance to each other is pretty powerful.
0: These are two really good observations. And I think that George seemed to have thought that he and Henderson were sort of similar because George also feels like he came from a, you know, a not rich background and built himself up. But I'm going to guess that George's background looked nothing like Henderson's background.
1: No, he was still going to good schools and all of that, right? Like, just because he wasn't, you know, the richest man on the block doesn't mean that he... You know, really came from nothing the way that he would maybe like to think about himself.
0: He's talking to a secretary, Clay, and he keeps saying stuff to Clay like, well, shouldn't they have time with their families or shouldn't they do this? And Clay is like, no, goddammit. We give them nothing, nothing. Every single time. I think it's great that they cast Patrick Page, who again is a Broadway guy, because his voice is so amazing. <laughs> Listening to him talk like he's like a triple bass. So he's delivering these these horrible lines with that just great gravelly, deep, deep voice.
2: I have a prediction. After George becomes a man of the people, he's going to get Bertha to start working on education issues. Because right now she's just working on frivolous stuff, right? Like stuff that's to her own end. But I think he's going to activate her to do actually good philanthropy with schools and education, maybe working with Marion and Jane Adams, but maybe then working with Peggy's world to save that school. And that's my ultimate prediction.
1: Hmm. I don't know. Well, I'm dreaming big. I do feel like Marion is going to get involved with Peggy's storyline, and there will be some crossover there. But before we move away from George, and speaking of him and Bertha, the other... Thing that he does in these episodes is reveal exactly what we suspected, that it was his money that got the opera house back up and running. Bertha doesn't know. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, but this is going to blow up in his face again. What did she say? No more lying. No more lying. Yeah. But I really liked how he stood up for her. I, I really don't think she's going to care because she thinks that this is something she's doing all on her own for the first time and really it was his money i think she's going to be so embarrassed when this inevitably comes out
0: yeah he told her that what he looked at the accounting and there were a few things that he could fix and yeah it did, it didn't sound like like that was actually true when he said it out loud
1: no but she she believed him she took it at face value and we knew it wasn't true but, you know, Bertha's always on to the next thing, on to the next detail, next bit in the plan. Okay, that's fixed. Great. Moving on. You know, I don't think she reflected upon that.
0: <laughs> I've been completely like drawn into Team Bertha on all of this. So, of course, I want her to sit in the
2: second, in the central box with the Duke. Oh, screw Mrs. Winterton. No way. She is not getting that box.
1: Yeah. Seriously. Team Bertha. She's not getting that box. I mean, no, that's a totally separate question. I just feel that. George is making a huge mistake by not just saying, I believe in you so much, let me invest and we'll make it a business deal and I'll treat you like any other business partner. Like to me, that's what he should have done.
0: Agreed. Yes. Although, you know, plot wise, it does allow him to, you know, go back to Mr. Metropolitan Opera and say, uh, this business with Mrs. Winterton in the center box is not going to
2: happen, right?
1: Oh, I love I loved that in the in that like velvet train car where the business happens.
2: <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. It was such a baller intimidation move of like when the train starts going. I was like, God, it must feel so cool to do that at some point in your life.
1: They're like, you can get off at the next stop.
2: <laughs> Ooh, ice cold. I loved it.
1: Oh, it's too good. Okay, Mrs. Winterton I'm I'm interested in her flipping and now deciding that she's going to be best pals with Bertha in for a second and then again saying, "Except I'll take your box." Like the way that she can be playing both sides of Bertha is actually hilarious cuz no one else really has her number in the same way.
0: Remember we were talking about how she had a chance to be like fake friends with Bertha, you know, and sort of be ushered into society, and she kind of blew it. So seeing that scene where they were all palsy again was a little surprising, Um, but I guess anything for the opera box.
1: Well, I think it's like she realized that she could almost like use that, but she's still pushing too hard, you know? (laughs) Like She can't help herself. To like, just be friends, just bring some other folks over, like take the next box next to her. And that's as good as you can possibly get is next to Bertha. But no, she needs to take her spot. Like, again, she's not going to win. Like, there's no way she's going to win. No. But it was just watching her overplay her hand again was very entertaining to me.
0: And has Mr. Winterton just sort of dropped the
2: whole issue of Turner's past? Is that? She was a companion. It checks out. You don't need to ask any further questions.
1: Yeah, I would like to see him again. I don't know what's going on at their house. But that was a really funny dynamic kind of between the two of them, like when she threw the fit about the Duke. So I wouldn't mind a little more about what's going on over there and, uh, you know, her the other things that she's doing to try to be Mrs. Winterton instead of Turner, the lady's maid. Like that, that could be an interesting storyline to me.
2: I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if she's mildly poisoning him <laughs> just to keep him. Out of the picture, but, you know, alive.
1: We saw what could happen with the soup. So,
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She was going to poison that soup. So, yeah, see, it all checks out. Well, this segues nicely into the dinner,
0: the dinner with the Duke, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I love these big dinner parties. They're so fabulous. The whole affair of the soup was just great. Watson saving the day not once but
1: twice oh it was great that whole sequence I was dying laughing at the like swelling music and the tense camera angles and all of this like what's gonna happen with the soup and then just church being like "Uh, uh, ah give me that bowl
0: all of the footmen coming out one after the other and then church is there walking also (laughs) as part of that group and then you know puts a gentle hand on peter and and takes the soup from him
2: classic julian this is what he's best at
1: i just love the idea that she was like here's what i need i need an inside chef to really get this oh and then the staff all like congratulating themselves for saving the day like uh, it was all just chef's kiss to use that term great
0: what did we think of Gladys in her interactions with the Duke?
1: She almost had a personality for a second, Oh dear. But her dress was really bad. Oh. She, she looked so silly through the sequence. she and the I mean, then then we can get to the hat that she wears during the garden party in the next episode because her her outfits are getting more and more ridiculous, I swear. I wish she
0: would just go shopping with Miss Beaton. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be a world yeah. of good. Because I love Miss Beaton's clothes.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah, that pink dress in the last episode was fantastic. When she was waiting on the street for Oscar, yeah. She
0: really looks great all the time. Can someone, though, explain to me what is going on with those finances and what Oscar is or is not investing in?
1: Oh, my God. This has got to be a Ponzi scheme. But, yeah, but he could be on orders from the dad, like, don't let, don't let him get involved or something. Like, he's too close. He'll figure out what we're doing. Like, I, I watched those scenes really closely because I felt like the banker guy, he really didn't seem like he was scamming Oscar. Like, there was no, like, glint in his eye. There was no whatever. It seemed like he really was trying to keep him out of it. But for what reason, right? Like, it's got to be because it's a scheme and for some reason they don't want Oscar in it. Like there's no other real explanation.
0: They don't want Oscar in it. He keeps trying to get Oscar out of it, sincerely get him out of it.
1: It seems sincere. It really doesn't seem like he's trying to do some like reverse psychology thing on him. It doesn't seem like that. No,
0: it's like he's trying to save him from making some kind of mistake.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it all comes together. But I definitely think it's going to end with Oscar losing his shirt no matter what unfortunately.
0: That one, I would
2: agree. I don't think that's going to end well. And I'm okay with that. Maurice, you were saying last time, you just loved him. And now you're just wishing him ill. I don't wish him ill. It's just, you want him back cancer too? You want him to have back cancer? No, that's the thing. Like I will
0: not accept the back cancer, (laughs) but I will accept Oscar maybe fucking everything up. I, I can't accept that. I feel bad for Miss Beaton, but I don't know what's going on with that whole thing. Like, he kisses her. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty cute together, but I don't want him to end up with her because she's going to have an unhappy life. But yeah, I guess I don't have to understand all the banking. Just to understand that that banker guy is like, Oscar, please don't get involved in this. You don't know what you're getting
2: involved with. Stay out of it.
1: While well, we're talking about the kiss that took place at this garden party. Should we talk about the other people who might be getting married?
2: And this is why you never propose on the big screen at a sports game. Okay?
1: I am telling yeah, if anyone out there is listening, unless your girlfriend has specifically said that she would like a public proposal, <laughs> never fucking do this.
0: <laughs> oh. Never, never do it.
1: I also, like, did not predict this until he called her up there. I really thought they were just being weird because they've been so weird in the last few episodes, Dashel and the Bad Seed. And I was just like, why are they so obsessed with her being at this party? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then my jaw dropped. I was like, no, please. Like, I've never, like, felt for this character as much as I did in that moment when she so clearly wanted to say no. And the actual line that she says, "This is this is perfect writing. Like, just... I love it. She says, if you really want me to, <laughs> can't even bring herself to say the word yes at all.
0: Oh, well, because the bad seed is staring <laughs> right at her smiling.
2: I know. <laughs> so creepy. What are you gonna do? This creepy kid is just smiling at her. Oh, <laughs> you will be my mother or else
1: oh man it it was a great scene and then larry walking away all sad like this is coming back your oh. prediction about larry and marion being end game that we thought was untrue is going to become true again i'm sure poor marion i said the
2: same thing and i was like oh just when you think they threw out the storyline shannon here they're bringing it back And he was like, congratulations. Or she was like, for what?
1: That was also great. These are like Marion's two best episodes by far.
2: Well, I think the nail in the coffin for Dashiell was when he told Marion, well, you're not really a teacher. You're just fiddling around with that teaching. Oh, my God. And I would hand it to Larry that I don't think he would say that because he wants to be an architect and he was talked down about now. Has he really done any architecture? He's mostly slept with a client, but that's here nor there right now. His dreams are architecture.
1: I had the same thought with Dashiell where I was like, listen, we're all thinking it, but you don't say it out (laughs) loud. Like, like, no, does she have a certificate in teaching? Absolutely not. Is she just winging it because she feels like it? Yes, but you can't say that if you're trying to woo the woman. Come on. I mean, even the, the bad seed caught that. Even she was like, She's like, don't fuck this up. Don't fuck up my new mom. So we we touched briefly on Peggy's storyline and how we think Marion's teaching might cross over with that. But we need to go back to what happened in episode five during the Alabama visit and that whole thing <laughs> where while we're watching, you know, this great drama play out in New York over soup and this and that. Meanwhile, <laughs> Peggy and T. Thomas are about to get lynched. And this is just like, I. it was uncomfortable the way the storylines were like edited together at the end of the storyline, uh, at the end of this episode. It was just a lot.
0: The transitions between the Duke's, you know, dinner party and um, Peggy and, and T. Thomas having dinner in David's mother's restaurant. The tonal shifts are so huge. It's just kind of jarring. And I don't know, maybe this is being done for a purpose. Maybe this is, we're supposed to feel that way?
1: I think we are supposed to feel that way, but I don't know if it's working because the the fun of the show is that the soup matters, right? So when you undercut that by being like, meanwhile, these characters are about to literally be murdered by racists, it's just a very strange choice to me. Very strange choice.
0: Well, let, let's talk about that storyline in its own world. The the interviews that, that Peggy does with the women who are learning sewing and what their dreams are. Oh,
1: I wanted that to go on for much longer. It was such a cute scene. It was only like 90 seconds long or something, which obviously is Julian's M.O., but like I could have watched... I could have watched a whole episode of just what was happening in Alabama, for sure.
0: Yeah, when the, the woman says, tell us what New York is like. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this. It's going to be great. And then they cut.
1: Yeah.
2: It just if all of this was a reason to get her and Mr. Biceps to kiss, we could have had a reason that wasn't traumatic and i'm going to keep advocating for more fun and sexy love stuff in peggy's storyline that is not rooted in trauma. i
1: agree. it was a disappointment that when they finally kissed it was because, you know, they had survived this horrible ordeal. like why can't they be getting caught in a rainstorm? come on.
2: Or their train is delayed and they just have to spend time together and go for a walk. I don't know. There's like so many other things you could be doing. You have to share a sandwich. I don't know. But, you know, I am really interested in the, in Peggy's storyline.
0: I think it's really interesting. I think her arc has been really interesting. And, and I would really love to watch this show about Peggy being a, a, a reporter and, and learning more and more about the world and taking up causes. And it just feels weird coming in the middle of like the ball with the Duke, you know? It's always, it's just always very jarring. Um, however, once she got home and her mother got her interested in the school issues, that felt a, so much more organic to me that it was happening in, in Brooklyn and it was with her parents and it was, I don't know. I it, that that I'm pretty excited about, and I'm excited about where that might go.
1: I totally agree. I think that that was a great scene when she went to see her parents. Um, and this Sarah Garnett person, I was like, is that a real person? Yes, it is a real person. So they're they're drawing from historical events again. And it just feels way more on the line of what's happening. Like we can have a serious storyline in New York, obviously, I, as much as we're like, ooh, strike stuff. I actually feel like that from being boring in the first few episodes has become much more interesting as it's gone along. It feels more integrated. Uh, and th- this education storyline with her could also feel a lot more of a piece with what the tone of the show feels like it's trying to be. We should just note, you put a note in the, um, in our agenda here, Teresa, that episode five was credited to both Julian Fellows and Sonia Warfield. I just want to make sure we say her name because I was complaining about it on the last episode that she wasn't credited on on one of the episodes that was very Peggy heavy. So I'm glad to see her name on the screen.
0: Some of the episodes are credited to just Julian and some are credited to Julian and Sonia Warfield. So... I don't know how they decide because to me, there's this, it's the same storyline in one going to the other.
1: I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure there's some behind the scenes, you know, contract reason that it is or isn't. And I'm not, uh, whatever. I'm not, I'm not complaining about whatever that is. I just like, I want to make sure that we actually say her name and credit her because the, the storylines have been really well-written despite all of our qualms about whether they fit into the show or not. Like, it's, it's a great, it's great material.
2: Well, and what I love most about this education storyline is Peggy's mom. I love that. She was like, come with me to this thing. And it's like, yes, get her out of the house. Like I I know in that great little burn, are you going to be home for dinner? I don't know. You know, I mean, she was just like, don't wait up, but this is her world. She's got her whole world. And I want to see it. And we've got Ladies Who Lunch plus activism, which is also super interesting. And I just, I was just gobbling up that scene. And I was like, oh my God, I want to see this world. I want to see Peggy be this, you know, young, fresh voice who has access to journalism to bring, you know, a visibility into these issues and to partner with her mom on something that isn't so tragic, you know? And so like there's this hope and momentum of like, yeah, we can make a change. So I just I really loved all of that. And I just want more of that.
0: Oh, and and by the way, um, Brandy, thanks for flagging that Sarah Garnett was, is a real person. So is T. Thomas Fortune. And I can't remember whether we've talked about that before. And he was he did work with Booker T. Washington.
1: Yeah. And because we don't want to talk about Larry, we should, we can briefly mention at least that there is another cool real person, the woman who designed the Brooklyn Bridge. Mrs. Roebling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I feel like I keep being like, is that a real person? Whenever someone who's interesting right off the bat comes along on this show and it's like, yes, the reason this person is interesting, they really existed.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That was a great storyline. That was so interesting.
0: I love that they brought Mrs. Roebling in. And, um, so I looked up, I looked her up to see whether that was being reported on, uh, at that time, and the New York Times actually did an article about Mrs. Roebling in 1883, which is when the bridge was completed, about how instrumental she was in getting the bridge built. That's good for her. Um, and they even even called her the chief engineer of the bridge. So even though I don't think people knew about her role while the bridge was being built, uh, I think after the fact, they did. And um, actually, the plaque on the Brooklyn Bridge acknowledges the father, the son, and the, and her.
1: I didn't know any of that, so I'm am, I am learning fun facts.
0: It's a great story. She's an amazing woman, and I didn't know this, but I just found out that she studied law at NYU, after, later in life, and argued for marriage equality, um, in an article in a law journal. So, like, this woman is really fantastic.
1: Badass. ass. Wow. What? Oh, my God. And the actress is a fucking dead ringer for this photo that was on Wikipedia. (laughs) So uh, just great things all around with this little storyline where Larry actually got to be involved in something interesting. Yeah. And good
0: for Larry, you know, for hanging around and keeping his eyes open. And he was really impressed with her. Maybe having a mother like Bertha helps him.
1: Well, I think, you know, the best thing I can say about Larry is, you know, he's his. Father's son, as far as believing that women can do things, right? I think Larry's a leader. I
2: think he's going to marry a leader. Bertha and George are pretty much equals. I see Larry marrying a stronger personality and he kind of follows along.
1: I don't know if he marries Mary and I don't know what they're going to do.
2: Well, she is kind of a strong personality. She's not the kind we like.
1: Yeah, well, they'll probably just like he'll, he'll design a school and she'll run it and that'll be what they do writes itself before we wrap up we did we talked about the alarm clock which when that fucking alarm clock went off again in episode six i was like i'm fed up with (laughs) youtube but then it kind of did go to an interesting place which we've already touched upon and i really liked watching everyone pitch in i really do think they should have done some research about the horological society before (laughs) they spent the money
2: I love the bit about not being able to pronounce that, though. That was such a good bit because I I'm thank God you said it, Brandy, because I don't know how to say it.
1: But what I really want to talk about with the downstairs folks is Bannister's letter that he had to get back from church. Oh. How this man secretly fucking loves drama, even though he's pretending like he's so up and up, like this is a drama queen. Between the way that he acted about Ada's wedding and this letter... And then the story that he made up that he told church instead of telling the truth about the letter, and then doing the fake apology afterwards. I loved it. I really loved it. Like that's the kind of little nonsense that I just applaud.
2: Which then I turned to my husband. I said, "You better be getting that drunk when if I'm dead."
1: Thirty years later, yeah, I, I, I liked that detail actually because I think it did something that we've t- we've mentioned on the show before, like when they do sort of almost casual callbacks to the Civil War. And so they were talking about, you know, the influenza. I don't know. I I kind of identify with that kind of stuff. It feels like the way that we now will sort of like casually be like, oh, yeah, that was right after 9-11.
2: Or the pandemic.
1: Yeah, like that's just that is how life is. Life goes on and these tragic things become points of reference, but then sometimes it hits you all at once, you know, and so I actually find those moments effective in the show. Okay, so any predictions going forward for the next two episodes? We'll we'll do one more episode after the finale, and I feel like you know these might be a little opera forward <laughs> these last couple episodes. We need to see how all that shakes out.
2: Luke is dead next episode. Sorry,
1: Therese. No, I'm in. I'm in the dead real quick camp on this one.
0: Okay, my prediction is, is that Marion is going to be unable to stop this. Runaway train of marriage proposal, but will
2: leave him at the altar. Runaway bride. Do you think she's going to literally run? I think she might run.
1: I, I could see a scenario where there's some kind of protest or action going on involving Peggy on the day of the wedding. And Marion, like, shows up there in her wedding dress instead of going to the church.
2: Mm. And I was thinking Larry might help her escape and take her to the
1: unfinished widow's house. The and- widow's away in Europe or something. And he's like, let's fuck at my ex-girlfriend's house. It'll be fun. Yeah. I also do feel like we are moving towards Ward McAllister collapsing, his house of cards and lies collapsing, because things were getting tense for him when he came with mrs astor to talk to agnes and he he is he just can't play both sides forever
2: no and mrs astor will be crowned the biggest loser i think she is on the way out i mean mrs winterton is doing a better job playing against bertha than mrs astor i think mrs astor's on the way out
1: i think the thing about mrs winterton is that like she's kind of as as much as she is overplaying her hand Tonally, she's meeting Bertha on her level, right? Like where they both know what's really happening and they are speaking to each other's faces about it, which I feel like is more Bertha's style.
0: Can I be honest? I don't really care what happens with the opera,
2: storyline. line. Oh, and Therese, don't you dare say that.
1: I mean, no, I mean, who? Uh, we don't care. Well, I kind of am. I'm G Bertha. It's just, I'm not sitting here being like, I won't watch this show again if Bertha's not sitting in the center box. I love all the
0: intrigue and backstabbing and all of that. Like, I think that's super fun and it's been really well done. I just don't really care in the end whether, like, we know the Metropolitan Opera wins because it's still here. (laughs) Sorry, sorry.
2: Well, another spoiler. I do think the eight-hour workday is going to catch on. (laughs) I'm not reading those Wikipedia's. I'm watching this show, so
1: okay, but it does take a while. Like, there's like way more long-term protests that happen in the labor movement well after the 1880s. You know, so I'm
2: hoping we wrap it up in two episodes. So I do want to make another prediction. That I think all this Mr. Biceps thing with Peggy is for her just being like, I got to stop being into like unavailable men. And I think she's just going to like totally get a new perspective on who she wants to be with. And we're going to catch a glimpse of the right guy at the end of the finale of this season. And I'm like ready to meet her equal because she's going to find a guy that's her equal and I'm, I'm ready for it. Okay. Any other final predictions?
1: I think Jack's gonna get his fucking patent. I think the alarm clock is happening. The alarm clock is the through line of the entire fucking season. It's gotta happen. I think so too. Well, let's close this out with our usual segment of One Fabulous Thing. And I'm just gonna go ahead and call Saltburn My Fabulous Thing. I know there are a lot of opinions about this movie out there. I just saw it yesterday. And I feel like I'm on Team Saltburn. Like I've been like reading the different pieces about it, and I can't really talk about what what are the issues and what are not the issues, why people are coming down against or for it, without spoilers. But All right, thank you. I think it is very, very worth seeing. Emerald Fennel, if I am saying her last name correctly, our writer director who also did Promising Young Woman, and of course she played a nurse on uh, Call the Midwife back in the day, you know, um, she is a hell of a filmmaker, even if it's a little muddled on the thematic level at times. That's really what people seem to be so offended by is that there isn't like a very clear politically acceptable message in the movie. And I just want to be like, go with it. The vibes are immaculate. The scenes are incredible. The actors are clearly having the time of their lives. It's visually stunning, can we not just watch a movie anymore without it needing to be like 100% politically correct? <laughs> I mean, I can't even believe I'm using that term. But people, remember how to have fun. Remember how to have fun at the movies. And you will have fun watching Saltburn if you watch it. I guarantee it.
0: I'm going to be seeing that on uh, next Friday. This Friday. Well, we, we need
1: to talk about it afterwards. See if you agree or if you think it has abhorrent class politics like some people think.
2: I'm a Jillian Fellows fan. Come on.
1: (laughs) Oh, I eat abhorrent class politics for breakfast, okay?
2: All right, I am going to do a TV show, but I'm not going to do a TV show that's out right now. It's something that came out, I think, like a year ago on Netflix. And I think I actually tried to get both of you to watch it. And I don't think either of you did, not to just, like, call you out, but maybe a little bit. I watched it. Which is The Empress on Netflix, which I feel like our podcast community would love. So it's about Empress Sisi of the Habsburgs. It's actually a German show. And so there's, uh, you know, subtitles, but the costumes are phenomenal. They are Gilded Age quality costumes. And the mom of, you know, the emperor, I really call her clothes bitch chic. She has the bitchiest best clothes ever. And this sent me down an Empress Cece rabbit hole where I think I read like four books about her. She's a wild personality and the way that she rebelled against the very strict regimes of the Habsburg empire. And, um, also just kind of a wild person. Like she was a really good horse rider and she actually paid for circus riders to teach her how to like stand on a horse and do all these tricks and stuff. (laughs) Like just kind of some really interesting details about her as an individual but the show is fantastic all the casting is great and they are filming a season two i'm not exactly sure when it's going to come out on netflix but if you're you know once gilded age is over we only have two more episodes and you're feeling that like i miss a good period piece drama with fantastic clothes the empress And neither of you watched it, did you? I did. You did? You didn't text me.
0: And what'd you think? My very favorite thing was the clothes. The thing I loved most about the clothes was that they were not historically accurate. Oh, no, they're not. They were like (laughs) some kind of crazy
2: fever dream of (laughs) Austro-Hungarian opulence. Yeah, but it's kind of reminding me of the favorite, where it's like the clothes are close to being historically accurate, but kind of have a style of their own.
0: My one fabulous thing is the Buccaneers. Uh, Not the Buccaneers that's on Apple TV Plus right now, but the Buccaneers that came out in 1995 as a TV miniseries. It is based on an Edith Wharton novel, and it is about heiresses from America being sent off to the UK to marry lords and such. It uh, parallels the storyline of Gilded Age. It's the same sort of era. Um, The 1995 version is really trashy miniseries stuff, and I love it. It stars Carla Gugino, Alison Elliott, Mira Sorvino, and a bunch of people, including uh, a gay duke. Okay, so what else do you want, really? It's like on par with uh, Lace, if anyone has seen the miniseries Lace. I have recommended that previously. If you want more of the Gilded Age, time, mindset, dresses, Marriages to Aristocracy, Buccaneers, 1995. Again, it's a speedy five-episode series. It's available on BritBox. You can get that uh, via Amazon Prime for a free seven-day trial, which is ample time to watch this. So Buccaneers, 1995 version. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Downton Gabby, The Gilded Age, Episodes 5 and 6. We will be back in two weeks after the finale of the series. There are only two episodes left. So look out for us in a couple of weeks. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can now find us on Spotify. And you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Just put in Downton Gabby and there will be. Um, So everyone enjoy the last two episodes and uh, we'll see you on the other side.